and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Code with Kingy, where for this go-round, I'm joined with a member of the Tasman Marcourt and the Highlanders in 2021 in Hugh Renton. Uh, before we crack into it, bro, thank you very much for your time and what have you been up to during lockdown? Uh, cheers, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, lockdown has uh, been stuck in sunny Nelson, so it hasn't been too bad. I think um, the first couple, the first week it was raining and, and second or third week, whatever week we're in now, it's um, been pretty good. So, yeah, just the, just the flats just been getting into, you know, what we do, a bit of weights and skills and mucking around and a bit of university on the side. But, uh, yeah, that's about all we get up to. Yeah, sounds like everyone else. You touch on the gym stuff. So have you got quite a setup back home? To be fair, we've got a, a pretty battler station, um, like no squat rack, no no bench or anything like that. We just sort of, we've got a barbell and some weights, like 140 kgs of weights, and we just kind of make do with what we can. But we can still get like our strength in and, and do all that. So, I mean, can't really complain too much, but um, it will be good once lockdown gets lifted or we go to level two and we can sort of start, you know, getting back into the gym rather than like, trying to do squats on like uneven ground and all that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah bro i can only imagine and it sounds like you know with having a few flatmates there that would make like training life a lot easier you know especially with the skill stuff but have you touched mm-hmm. them with any of like the older group who potentially are just living with their families and that must be quite tough for them because you know you can do the right you can do the weights and you can do the running but you know like the skill stuff is just as equally as, as important yeah, definitely. I think um, especially like uh, getting to the end of sort of level three, um, guys are starting to get into more contact and things uh, mm. just to build in because there's pretty short turnaround. We get straight into it uh, as soon as it sort of hits level two. So I think if you're by yourself, that's that's like impossible to do. You know, you just have to have like a tackle bag and sort of run into that and do that. So having a flat where there's a couple of boys here and, and they don't mind getting tackled is, is pretty good. But yeah. I would imagine, I don't know, you'd, in the family, you have to like, tackle the old man or, or the brother or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, it'll be pretty tough. But, well, I mean, we got it pretty lucky in my personal bubble. But, yeah. Yeah, bro. Good for you. Uh, and what? how quick is the turnaround? Like, if we drop down to level two, are we potentially seeing the Bunnings, like Fire Palmer Cup and NPC roll out this weekend? Yeah, I think that was the original discussion was if we hit uh, level t- uh, two by Wednesday, then the, we could be in for some games games on that weekend but I think there's still some more discussion to go under the bridge but it's probably more sensible to do it the following week so it just gives you know that week week and a half just to get back into some training load as a team and just around the injury and player welfare sort of point of view like waiting that extra week's probably a better idea but I mean we still don't know like a date or anything like that when we're playing to be honest. Sounds like everyone else still sort of left in limbo and it's going to be weird for the Auckland teams as well because they've got at least another week um, of yep. level four lockdown um, and then like you said they'll need an extra week to catch up with all their contact stuff mm. you know given they haven't been able to train or won't be able to train like you guys will so yeah we're yeah to come. yeah yeah it is I, I haven't been in those discussions with New Zealand rugby or anything like that but I'm sure they're pretty creative to be like shit like how do we get this comp going you know but they're, they're definitely keen to get it going and like get it going until sort of end of November it's probably going to look like which was similar to last year it's 
it probably does push Super Preseason back to just the start of the year, but how it worked this year, so should be all good. Yeah, true. All right. Um, well, you touched on like the super stuff, and I want to try and go through this all linearly. Um, so why don't yeah. we start from day dot with you, my man, um, and tell us where you grew up and who got you into code. Yeah, no, nah, cool. I was um, so born and bred uh, Hastings, Hawke's Bay. Um, parents are farmers uh, about 40 minutes inland from Hastings, a place called Murakakaho. So, um, yeah, sort of just went to Murakakaho primary and uh, intermediate and then uh, went to Linda's farm uh, in Hastings there and boarded there. But I think um, dad was always uh, into rugby. I don't think I was personally alive when he was still playing rugby, but um, he sort of was in the sort of age grade teams um, for NZ, like Junior All Blacks, and had a couple of trials for the All Blacks and played for Hawke's Bay, Mid-Canterbury and and the like. So he's sort of um, in and around that sort of era. Like he sort of just missed out on that 1987 sort of World Cup sort of era, era that's kind of his, his sort of uh, zone. But I guess like, you know, probably like most New Zealanders, he was sort of an influence in, you know, that direction of rugby. And I, I remember, like, he's coached me from being five years old up to I went to high school. So all through Hastings um, rugby and sports, like the junior grades and stuff, and continued through to went to high school. And then I think Dad was probably sick of me, I don't know, arguing back with him or fighting or something. So he's just like, oh, someone else can deal with the bugger now and, and coach him. All right, so you crack on to Linda's farm, but you talk about being a farm boy. What was that transition like going from, I, I don't actually know where you grew up personally, but I'm not very good with my geography, yeah. but it doesn't sound like the biggest of places. But then I know that Linda's mm. Farm, you know, has quite a reputation um, along the east side of the country or in the North Island, mm. sorry to be um, more precise. So did you take to it very well or did it take you a while to adjust to big city life yeah. almost? Uh, I mean, like I wasn't, I'm not like hard, hard out farmer boy kind of thing like that. Like, um, Definitely sort of obviously come from a farm and grew up on a farm, but um, yeah, it's it's not too far in the what-wops that it's um, out of everywhere. Like there's still, there's probably like 100, 150 kids uh, went to Maraikako and like a few of them sort of came from town as well. So um, it wasn't too bad. I was, I went straight into boarding, which to be fair, as a sort of young teenager, it was pretty fun, you know, just no parents or anything like that, just with all your mates and getting out to mischief and oh geez, like we got up to some tricks and all this sort of stuff eh? like Jesus just some of the stories like even now we sort of come back and as a group on zoom you know the other week and just just one one person will be like oh I remember that time that we did this and snuck out and and you know all the stories come out flying it's nothing about what you do actually in school it's all about like boarding and, and sport um, but that transition oh for me it wasn't actually that hard I think I was pretty keen to get out of um, my parents here and stuff like that and, and get into uh, sort of the city or or town and having all your mates here is, is pretty good and I mean it's only like half an hour 40 minutes away so I'd go home on the weekends or or see my you know parents would come watch rugby or something like that so that's no, good I loved it. Best of both worlds a bit of independence but then still having the family pretty close by so did you have many mates go to Lindisfarne as well and that's also what factored into your decision to go in there? Yeah sort of um, one of my best mates uh applied and then a couple of guys that sort of farmer boys as well coming up through um, the ranks um they applied as well and i when i applied i actually didn't get into linda's farm like on the first sort of uh go i was i was on a thing called a waiting list so i had to just um wait if people dropped out then i'd get accepted so i was like oh geez i'm gonna you know have to 
do the commute or go to a boarding school somewhere else or whatever like that. Um, but then I got in and then, you know, there's a few mates from junior rugby and then one of my best mates, Mason Emerson, got in and then and then that's when I sort of obviously meet a hell of a lot more people. But I'm pretty sure, yeah, I was sort of like the one and only a few that went from my primary school, yeah. So, but then, you know, on top of like the, obviously the success you had um, rugby-wise, which we'll get into, um, you ended up being head boy at the school in your last year. So, like, how, how did the school itself shape you, not only as a player on the field, but also as a man off it? Yeah, it's a pretty good question, actually. Like, I think um, the, the main reason why I sort of went to Lindisfarne was because my parents sent me there, at least, was the academic side. Um, the rugby side, you know, Lindisfarne wasn't really known. We've had good players like um, Tane Randall, John Timu, Israel Dagg, obviously, George Bridge currently. So there's a bit of pedigree there, but it's not like a well-known rugby school. But yeah, more academics really. And I think the foundation of Linnesan was sort of building young men into being sort of great, great men, you know what I mean? Um, and so my parents obviously wanted that to uh, happen. And so, yeah, um, the school sort of just their values and their, and, and their time and commitment to like uh, the education, academically side of things, um, pretty important at that young age you know it shapes you quite a lot when you're going through school and I think like as I sort of started school I, I, you know I progressed quite linearly uh just because what their values and teachers and, and who they have around and yeah I guess like at the end of my schooling year I got asked to be head boy and that was sort of like a, another step and yeah they just sort of allow you to grow like I remember the headmaster calls you in and says, look, you're going to be head boy next year. And then literally the next day you have to stand up in front of a like 1500 packed assembly uh, and, and do like a speech of acceptance and basically like a, uh, what you're going to do going forth. And, and then um, I always remember like parents would always say like, it's quite cool seeing your first speech. Uh, and then a year later, you're like doing your commencement speech. So you can always see the growth from when you're a little father to obviously when you when you finish. So I think um, situations like that, I mean, that's pretty um, pretty great. Yeah, crazy. Just to get thrown that responsibility, yeah, and then you got a front in front uh, of all your boys on top I of know. everyone else, and all the boys are like just pulling faces, and and obviously like <laughs> you're looking out and everyone's looking forward, so you can't see anything, and they're just like pulling faces and giving you like shit and everything. You're just like being serious, and and then you just get a drilling, but oh it's all part of the process so it sort of yeah uh grows you quite a lot but um yes yeah, long time ago now but it's a pretty good time yeah all right so gun off the field but you know more so to what happened on it you mentioned the fact that you, you didn't play your last year and again we'll get to that but how did rugby start off for you at Lindisfarne were you like straight into the under 14s and then ended yeah. up cracking the first team in year 11 uh, I was pretty lucky. So in my year nine, I had Carl Jones and he'd just come off like um, 2010 was my year nine and, and he had just come off um, 2009 coaching New Zealand secondary schools uh, with like TJ Pernar and and all of that crew, James Lowe and stuff I remember. So he's obviously a really um, class coach and I uh, had him in my first E-grade team. So he was like sort of looking after us, coaching us quite a lot and then uh, from E grade, which is sort of like the top, I guess, year nine team. Uh, there's a chance to make the under 15, which we just had like a, a tournament. Uh, and so, yeah, I was lucky enough to play like as a year nine. There's probably only a few of us playing that under 15s tournament. And then um, that goes into year 10 when it's just straight under 15s. And I was and managed to be in the top team for that. And that was 
that was cool. And that's when I first started playing like number eight and really enjoyed it. Uh, sort of the back end of that season. And then, um, yeah, uh, that yeah, actually I um, tried to make the rep team for Hawke's Bay under 16s and I got dropped. And I was like, ah, oh, like shit, like I'm not that good or whatever. And I was like, nah, stuff it. I want to be good at rugby. And so I sort of like wrote down a few goals. Like, look, I want to make first team next year, you know, start number eight, do all this sort of stuff. And then, yeah, just sort of went training. And that's when I first started sort of making, I guess, a plan around like um, weights and, and training and, and mindset to going towards something. And then, yeah, that sort of uh, culminated in a couple of trials for first of thing and then making first of thing in year 11 and then sort of took a couple of games and then, yeah, ended up sort of um, locking down that number eight spot sort of around middle of the season toward, and then for the rest of the season. And then, yeah, sort of started like that, really. Sure. So, so you weren't a number eight initially? Nah, I've always played open side. <laughs> yeah, always played so, open side flanker. So, mm. so what? So what was the the shift? Did you want to carry the ball a bit more? Do you get sick of tackling as much? What? <clears throat> yeah, good question. Actually, can't really remember. Um, I think it was probably um, probably actually just like watching Kieran Reid and stuff and the influence he had. But I think like playing number eight was probably a game with that challenge side of really challenging like your skill set, like your run, tackle, uh, skills in terms of passing, off, offloading, linking with forwards and backs. And yeah, probably that was more funner and I was probably getting more ball and and, and more centre of it. So yeah, that would have been why I, I chose that path. And, you know, I mean, like you, you played a number of rep teams uh, in year 12, especially. It says, it says online, yeah. and please um, correct me oh, if yeah. I'm wrong, because a lot of this has been pulled from the internet. Uh, you made Hurricane yeah. Schools, you made the New Zealand Barbarians, I think you even captained the Hurricane Schools that year as well, which is a pretty big feat for a team that would have been filled with year 13s. But, you know, it's not hard to see why you probably got to that so quickly, you know, given, like you said, you know, you got you cracked into your gym stuff in year 11 and you wrote down a lot of goals, which I, I know for sure I wasn't doing as a 15, 16-year-old. So yeah, yeah. was like, where do you think that whole sort of goal setting come, came from? Was it from that year nine coach that you said who, had a lot to do with the New Zealand schools or was it from your old man or was it something that Linda's um, farm put a lot of um, emphasis on? Yeah, well, something that just popped into my mind was um, there's a coach at Linda's farm called Grant Gilbert and he had coached the first of things for something like 400 games before I'd got to the school and then he'd kind of transitioned out when I was like year nine. I was still aware of him, but he'd sort of um, been synonymous for coaching like Israel Bag and all of that and being involved in, in rugby. Um, so he was, he was a big influence. And I remember he used to always look after like our prep time. So in the boarding house, we'd have to do prep time from like, I don't know, eight to nine or 7.30 to nine or something like that, where we had to do schoolwork. And he was looking after my class in year 10. And I nervously remember I was gutted about the rep team that I didn't make. And so I went up to him and I said like, oh, can you like help me uh, be good at rugby or something like that? And, he, and then I remember he like wrote down a couple of things and said like, work, work on this and work on this. And, and that's all. I think it was like something like work on your fitness and your passing and come back to me when you've done that. And so I went away and did like shitload of passing and a shitload of fitness. And then when I got to all right level, I came back to him and he's like, oh yeah, it worked. I want you to work at this tackling and then I want you to work at this thing. And then I like went away and did that, did that, did that, and then came back. And so to be fair, like 
I think that, that probably helped me physically develop, but then mentally develop, and then also jump my game and then jump it again in year 11. I, I was lucky enough to have a, a pretty good uh, year, I think, that year. And then that sort of set me up to, to go on to year 12. And, and yeah, as you said, like year 12 was, um, was pretty lucky at the start of year, sort of like being involved with like that, that so Hurricanes under, under 18s. And then, um, yeah, I was yeah, captaining them in the end, which I didn't even think that I'd be in the running. And I just remember being at camp there and being nervous about like even making the, like I didn't think I'd probably make the team to be fair. And then, I remember um, the coach, uh, two coaches, like the fourth coach and the coach sort of uh, came up, up to me and we were at Fielding uh, High School there and sort of I was walking back to the dorm or whatever and came up to me and I was like nervous as and they were like, oh, um, how do you feel about playing um, open side? Because I'd been I tried as a number eight and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I'll do it. And they're like, oh, you're sweet. Like you're in the, you've made the team as open side because I was getting named like that night or something. And I was like, oh, fire out. And they're like, oh, how do you feel about being captain? And I was like, hey, like, what the heck? <laughs> and, then, and then they're so like, they're like, yeah, so you'll start, obviously. And I was like, what? Like, this is crazy. Um, I do remember, yeah, clearly remember that. So that was pretty, pretty cool. And um, yeah, sort of, we only played one game against the Chiefs and I think we won like 40 to 10. So it was, it was pretty successful and just a fun time, really. Like good mates throughout Wellington and, and Hawke's Bay and everyone in that region and, yeah, yeah, that was a pretty fun time. Set things up for bigger things to come. So was it at that time that you gave a serious consideration to rugby perhaps being a career pathway for once you left school? Or because I mean like you sound like you're you're pretty um onto it with your academics. So like where was your mind at? And you know, obviously you're a professional rugby player now. So when were you like, okay, yeah. yep, I'm gonna give this a good crack? To be fair, academics has probably never been like the number one thing although my mum would hate me saying that um it's always been like I've always wanted to be like an athlete right and I've probably mm-hmm. never been like a naturally good athlete in terms of like breaking all these 100 meter records and all this sort of stuff but I've always wanted to be an athlete and then rugby is always something I've picked up on so I've always been like oh I want to be you know rugby player and I just I think I've just enjoyed going to the weight room and, and lifting weights and training hard and then tackling people and playing rugby and learning all that sort of skill and being out on the field and and probably um, physically trying to move a player from A to B against their will has always been something that I've enjoyed inherently I don't know why it's just something fun you know maybe as like a, a kid you know you just love that sort of uh, trying to beat someone up or something like that yeah um, or attempt to anyway um, and I think, yeah, so I've always naturally liked that uh, quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, rugby sort of gone that way. And then the academic side, um, I've always got pushed to be like, you know, do, do try your best at whatever you do. So academics has always been something I've tried to do my best and I'm, I'm not always the best at it. Um, and, well, very seldomly am I the best at all, but always tried that sort of side of things. And then I've always been interested in like, uh, business and just progression off the field and, and then that sort of just being encouraged and trip fed in through different things I've been involved in I think Lindisfarne was a big factor and 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 like having that side off the field open and those avenues sort of open in your mind to be like oh like this is a possibility or this is a possibility or this and that 
but even when I was sort of like injured with rugby and I couldn't do rugby and all this sort of stuff, I've always wanted to just do the rugby side or like, you know, do the physical side. So mm-hmm. um, that was a pretty tough time as well. Well, as we've touched on, like you're a professional player now, but you've had a pretty bumpy road to get there. The first of which, you know, like off the back of what would have been a stellar year for you, you know, like we said, captain the Hurricanes under 18s and went on to play um, for the Barbars later that year. But between that and then going into your last year of school, you suffered a pretty serious injury. What happened there? Mm. Like, how did that even come about? So, yeah, year 11 was like uh, a good year, like got through that year. Uh, feeling really good and then, and then year 12 I just I just had a few injuries and just a couple like inconsistencies which I was struggling with like I remember my back was just playing up forever and uh, I probably had six and this is probably repeated for a few years but I've had success like pushing really hard and just trying to do like so much and so much and so much and then I'd always get injured or blow my back out and then I'd come back and try to do so much so much so in year, in year 12, I was like, oh, you know, I just need to do more, 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 more. Um, and so I had a pretty unsettled year 12 year of just injuries and just all like not, you know, not a lot of energy and all this sort of stuff. Whereas year 11 just flowed for me, kind of felt like it flowed for me anyway. And then played the, the sort of hurricane schools is sort of like middle of the year, I'm pretty sure. And then we went back to Lindisfarne and then had the rest of the season kind of thing. And then sort of started rolling into like Hawks band or 18 games and stuff like that and then uh hadn't even played a bar but bar bars was at the end of the year so I didn't actually get to play bar bars and then it was a semi-fire uh, sort of against Wellington anyway I got tackled and sort of stretched my neck back and like pulled my neck here and and got up and sort of played on and that was fine and then um had a real sore arm though and then played the next week against Manu two and and just sort of a couple of things in my game, I was like, why is my arm like not working? Like, it's just arm in space. Like I'd go catch the ball and it would be like delayed or I'd go to pass the ball and it would, my arm just wouldn't really come through snappily or, and I'd be like, oh, that's a bit weird. And then arm was still real sore. And then um, physio was like, oh, like, there's probably nothing really wrong with it. Maybe AC joints just been done a little bit. And then the game against Taranaki was the next week and that was like a semi-final um, for like the Hawks under 18 sort of under 18 comp and I remember before the game I was doing push-ups and then I just this arm stopped working I just couldn't do a push-up on my right side and I was like oh well, that's like I just didn't get it and then I went on to play and that was sweet came back and I just woke up uh, in the middle of the night with a searing arm uh, pain down my back uh, and my arm like a searing pain like a knife sort of through your back and nothing helped it, like no Panadol or ice or anything helped it. And yeah, it took like a while to figure out, but um, they figured out like it was a nerve injury and then, yeah, like a brachial plexus nerve injury, long thoracic nerve, sort of like my whole serratus anterior sort of lat um, trap infraspinatus and like on your scapula and all that sort of stuff just sort of shut off and just yeah it didn't work and they reckon like I I probably um when I got tackled I probably stretched the nerve and C5 6 7 in my neck um stretched and it didn't pull out thankfully didn't pull out of the spinal cord but it stretched out of the spinal cord and that stretching caused that the whole thoracic nerve die and then from that point forward 
it's uh, just a matter of if it grows or you know if it doesn't grow really. And yeah, so that's that. I didn't actually play. I, I was named in New Zealand um, Barbars, but we had the final the following week against Wellington for the under eighteen competition, and I didn't play that one with my arm. And I had my arm in a sling, and then yeah, about the week after or two weeks later was when the Barbars camp was on and then all of that sort of stuff so no I didn't play any of that went to doctors and stuff and they were like oh maybe it's going to be a couple of weeks maybe a month maybe you know six weeks or whatever and yeah just sort of that time went and then my month went and then six weeks went and it yeah my arm just wasn't working holy shit yeah and I, and I read, uh, you know going back and doing my homework on this I, I read an article where you said that a doctor told you that you'd never play again if you underwent yeah, the surgery you, what was it like hearing that sort of news yeah I, I i remember that was a kind of a weird one because um my arm wasn't really working for like a couple of weeks and they still didn't really know what it happened what had really happened but um that was seeing a surgeon and then i had to go to the uh, emergency room or something like that and uh just get a scan or something because i hadn't had any scans on it so i went and got like a um I don't know what I got, like a CAT scan or something like that, or extra or something. And um, there was not really any communication between the two. And so I went and got that scan and then drove home and then just about got home. And then they called me up and were like, oh, you need to come here immediately. And I was like, geez, that's pretty crazy. Uh, went, obviously drove there immediately and then walked in and they're like, oh, where's your parents? Because uh, mum and dad were like working. And they're like, oh, no, nah, like one of them needs to be here. And I was like, what the heck? Like, it must be pretty serious. And then I, I like walked in, they saw me, they put me in a neck brace and like brought me to the front of the queue. Put, this is straight away, put me in a neck brace and like lowered me down on the bed, take my head down. And then I remember saying to the, like, um, the doctor, we're in, like, oh, what's happening? And he's like, oh, no, we found something on your x ray and like all this sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, can I play rugby and stuff? Like, can I play rugby again or what, what's going on? He's like, he's like just laughing he's like oh, nah mate not with what we've seen and then that was like the worst thing to say and I was like holy shit holy yeah what they thought was I had like dislocated my my bloody vertebrae so they thought that I dislocated my vertebrae and it like slipped under and they thought it was like seconds or inches or whatever away from slipping and severing the spinal cord or whatever so it's pretty freaky yeah but long story short they did all these scans and stuff like that and and turns out like I was sweet in that area but obviously it didn't fix my arm or whatever but they just thought all of that was causing my arm to not work and everything and Mm -hmm. yeah it was just a bit of miscommunication then due diligence from the from the obviously the people at the ER department but then also pretty shitty thing to say because it's like far out you may never play rugby again and it's quite serious because they think that you know you're going to have to have emergency surgery and I remember the doctor he said that he cancelled flights and stuff and he was like on standby like ready to perform the surgery on this like how I don't know 17 year old kid uh because his vertebrae and all this sort of stuff was out of joint but that kind of freaked me out and then I remember I had to wait like two weeks um I had to wait like two weeks because I had to test for my facet joints which is like down your spine it's like the long sort of pointy bits in between the vertebrae because if they were like maybe your your things are too short and if they're too short when you flex they could slip under and sever your spinal cord so they're like they look short 
uh, we need a check if like, you know, they're short. And if they're short, like you can't play rugby. And I was like, what the heck? Why would you even say all this stuff to me? And turns out I was fine. Like my facet joints, whatever they're called, were, were sweet. Um, so I didn't have a dislocated neck or vertebrae or whatever. I didn't have that other thing. But I had to go through all of that mentally, thinking mm-hmm. like that could be a possibility. And then the other thing was like, oh, yeah, your arm, like, yeah, it's para- like the nerves paralyzed. We don't know if it's going to come back or not. It, you know, it might, but it might not. Um, Jesus, there's all of that sort of stuff. Like, pretty stressful as a 17-year-old kid, you know. And I was like, if you couldn't sort of probably recognize, I was quite an obsessed um, kid and uh, what I liked and my passion. So all of this was, like, really I think probably now that I think back, like quite traumatic. <laughs> um, yeah, and I yeah, it was all a bit of a cluster if you know, like. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it took quite a while for them to figure it out, but they they figured it out, and they still don't actually technically know how I did my arm because they should have tested me. I think for a virus at the time, uh, they like tested like uh, did like a spinal tap or tested me for this virus and stuff like that but because the physios took so long to like figure out what it was I like by the time I went to the doctors and things the virus wouldn't have shown up and all this sort of stuff so they don't know if it was from that tackle that did it from like a virus that I got in my nerve that shut it off and killed it or from some congenital thing but um yeah I mean I'm good now thankfully but I wasn't good for a while and I wonder to be fair I wonder if that played into my arm like not healing for an extended period of time because I was so shocked and had all this tension Mm. like probably for like six months or or four to six months of just thinking what is this get it right is it not going to get right and my whole body being like tense and anxious all the time like I couldn't sleep I would stay awake till like 2am and then fall asleep on like the ground or like the side of my bed or the couch or whatever because I was at boarding school and I had my own room um so no one probably knew so I took it here yeah I wonder if that like delayed my healing um but it's a pretty big deal in the end yeah yeah bro that would have been anxiety of doom like even just to be told oh yeah like this could be very 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 serious and you got to sit with it for two weeks as a 17 year old kid who like all he wants to do is be a rugby player bro yeah that just yeah i I couldn't even imagine having to deal with that internally yeah i didn't even know what anxiety or anything was back then but when i look back i was like full of anxiety like i remember like because it's all like your rib cage and scapular and nerves and stuff so i just remember i was probably had anxiety so i couldn't breathe deeply and then all of that was causing tightness to the muscles that already weren't working. And then the other muscles were overworking. So then that was causing all pain mm. uh, and everything. So I, I just imagine like I was probably just a big physical, you know, mess for ages um, because of that. But obviously that nerve in the end, it was dead and it took, I think it grows like a millimeter a day. A nerve grows a millimeter a day. And then the nerve is something like 20 to 30 centimeters long. Uh, that's centimeters long and it grows a millimeter a day. So that's a couple hundred days or whatever. Um, and it did, it took, yeah, it took a good good while. It took about uh, 2.5 years till I played again. Probably took about a year and a half 
to two years before I got 80% movement back. Took about two and a half years sort of until it was stable. And then I played rugby, but it wasn't right then, but it was stable enough to attempt to play rugby. And then it took probably three years. It took three years for it to be stable and withstand uh, like training on it, gym and tackling. And then, yeah, it's been been good. Yeah, a long haul, bro. Crazy. Yeah, it's pretty pretty hectic time as like a young father wanting to be a professional rugby player getting told you're not going to play rugby and then uh obviously having to go through all those tests and unknowns and then at the end of all that stress some dude sticking like a needle into your arm and testing if it's working and you can't feel anything and so and the ecg was what they call it to test if it's working that's picking up zero movement so there's no literal life in the muscle it all wastes away to nothing within 18 hours it starts to waste so literally after three days or whatever it was pretty skinny already um oh. yeah it was pretty tough like it was tough when i think about it like far out um thankful as for uh where i am today physically but then also like for the help i did get um with it because yeah that was pretty pretty good yeah yeah, I guess it shows to show what well, it it's uh it, you're a credit to you know the warrior that you are now for all the battles that you've had to go through um at still at what was such a tender age, um but despite your injury um at the time going into your last year of school and then towards the back end of it, Hawks Bay signed you, mm. and that was also linked in with again what I've seen online some stuff to do with the hurricanes once you left school so. Mm. And what would have been like a pretty dark place for you coming off that injury and like being in limbo, you know, what was that moment like being told that the un- your local union's going to be investing in you and that that dream wasn't gone? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, mixed emotions. I, I clearly remember I signed that deal on the 7th of August uh, 2014. And I remember my emotions there were like, uh, I, was, I was like a dull happy, if that makes sense. Like, obviously I was like happy, like, look, I kind of like get some certainty. I have some money <laughs> coming in, a job. Um, and as you said, like a continued opportunity to fill my potential and dream of being a professional rugby player. But the overarching feeling of the whole thing was I was obviously I was still scared there's just so many unknowns my arm wasn't working yet I didn't know if it was going to work uh, I had, had hadn't had any sign that it was going to work no professional had told me when it was going to work because there's no time frame for nerve injuries or anything like that they can't really give a definitive time frame they say a millimeter a day and that's like the most definitive thing you can get but there's no proof that that's working or anything and so everything was overshadowed I guess with just the unknown that I constantly lived with was can I play rugby again like sure it's all good to sign a professional contract but you want to be playing rugby you know uh and if and on top of that you want to be playing good rugby and so it was all the rush I'd be like I want to be good now I want to be back now I want to be an all black now I want to be the best player in the world right now all this sort of stuff but it's like in reality, I was actually sitting there with a paralyzed arm, 
skinny ass kid hadn't done any rugby in a year at this point and so many unknowns so so grateful that they actually helped me out in terms of the rugby stuff um signing me putting me in the Hawks Bay environment uh and then the Hurricanes environment I think from a um point of view business point of view from them it probably it actually made sense because they could sign a young guy uh, with potential because they had a big issue with losing talent like the Hurricanes region losing talent Mm -hmm. to other franchises so they could sign like a young guy um, but then also I was injured so they could they could just write sign me but write me off to New Zealand rugby and bring in and sign like a fully fledged professional rugby player who's playing and everything like that because they just wrote me down as like an injury reserve like just on the injured injured list so it didn't actually matter it didn't matter financially um, from the Hurricanes or Hawks Bay's point of view and it didn't matter from the playing roster point of view because they could replace you anyway so yeah so it's kind of like a win-win for them and a win-win for me and then that started a a long process of getting back playing um, which I did I know I had great guys down there like Dr. Theo Dorfin, Cam, the physio, Levin um, they all helped me over a long, long period, uh, get me back to playing and then get my arm back to working. And amongst that, I had other injuries like hip surgery and some serious things like that. And again, I've learned a lot now, but I was also a guy that's probably intensely focused and driven and a guy who's intensely focused and driven or a young person who's intensely focused and driven, but can't sort of access their outlet uh, it's pretty pretty tough time, uh, but again, like so grateful that they did sign me because yeah, they helped me get back, realize my professional dream. Albeit I wasn't at the level I wanted to be, or wasn't even I don't believe I was at the level to even be considered like a proper pro- professional. But hey, it's, it was a start, and they mm. gave me that that sort of opportunity. So yeah, really grateful for that. Yeah, and, and and like you said, it, it would have been like a no-brainer from from a business point of view for them, and then even for you to give yourself an opportunity. But even looking back at that, you know, like you said, you were you were pretty down on yourself to begin with, like not being able to use your arm, and you know, again, being stuck in limbo. But then signing a, a contract like that brings added pressure to yourself because then there's this expectation that's like, well, and I, and I, and I'm and, I, and I'm not I'm I'm trying to word this properly, but you know, from from the outsider's yeah. point of view, they're like, you know, why are they signing this guy? This guy's injured. The Hurricanes might not mm. even get back the money they're investing in this kid. Mm. So did that sort of stuff ever creep into your psyche? Yeah, well, it was, um, it, it was never almost like like the direct pressure from the organisation or anything like that. It was obviously myself as an individual wants to be the best. Uh, so it was always an internal pressure. But, I mean, that was always there, like far out. I want to... Uh, be so good at rugby now I want to do this I want to be back playing rugby I want to hit all those all of these sort of things I want to do this and so I wanted to do more 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 I wanted to get there and then I was getting frustrated and then my body wasn't working then all this sort of stuff so that just adds so much mounted stuff on top of you um and I didn't I hadn't been through any of those really learnings as a dude so it took me quite a while to unpack that and figure out what was happening and then yeah to also like take the time just to get better because I think at the end of the day like some things do just take time and time pressure I was almost like a ticking bomb like my contract ended at this date 
I'm, you know, so I was getting better every day. And then every day I wasn't, I was like far out and falling off the wayside. Um, but yeah, I f- feel like I learned quite a lot mentally through that time that really set me up in 2017 to have a, have a good year. And I, I had like a, a good year compared to my other years. And I'd always gone like this, but I probably wasn't to the level that I wanted to be in the end. But yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So you leave school, you head down to Wellington. What was the plan there? You know, obviously you're rehabbing, but what were you studying on the side? Yeah, so uh, I originally wanted to go to Canterbury and then the degree I wanted to do there wasn't at Victoria University. So I sort of wasn't sure what to do. So I sort of picked up a couple of psychology papers and stuff. But then I ended up uh, halfway through the semester having to go up to Auckland for like hip surgery. So that kind of wiped me out for the rest of the... And I didn't really know about like online study or anything like that. So that kind of wiped, wiped me out. So I didn't really do a hell of a little study that first semester out of school and then second semester sort of picked it up, but just a few psychology papers, a few um, management sort of basic BCom, B science papers, yeah. All right, hip surgery. How do you hurt your hip when you've already got a buggered arm? How did that happen? I didn't even know. Like, I, I um, in year 13, I didn't do anything. Like, literally couldn't run. Every time I ran, like, the dropping of my shoulder would just, like, be pulling on the nerves, and they'd just be like like searing like so anything where your arms moving my whole body just was so achy so I um didn't do like anything so I don't know what happened to my hips whether that was congenital like I was born with it or I'd done a shitload of dodgy ugly training which was probably a lot of the case in year 10 11 12 but it kind of just got uncovered when I increased the load and yeah my hips were just buggered like I remember going to the doctor and be like nah like, they're not good and the doctor's like nah like FAI is pretty common like everyone's got it like you'll be sweet do these exercises and all that sort of stuff did it for a couple of weeks didn't get better and then they went in there and then they said like shit these are the worst hips we've seen basically for a kid that age like I had two camera pincers which is basically like when your ball and socket when your ball is like a P and so it smashes the front of your socket so I had damage on that but that bone whatever it's the femur and then damage on the socket front of that off I had cartilage damage on both sides labrum tears on both sides yeah and real kind of extensive cartilage damage kind of stuff but um yeah lucky I had surgery and fixed the bone so it was all shaped uh and a good shape for your, to be a ball and socket without causing damage and then they just cut off cart like they've managed to shave off the front of the bone which cleared the, the damaged cartilage and then also repaired the labrum which i think is just like the suction of the um ball and socket so they cleared both that up and then yeah just sort of rehab that um quite a few rugby players have had it quite a few to be fair and um yeah i was lucky like i'm good like i just always do my exercises but pretty good now and but my shoulder was still not working so that was kind of the main focus yeah, yeah. holy hell you just couldn't avoid being in the wars all right so 2015 nah. is a write-off what went into yeah. 2016 and did you hit the ground running to start that year like what was the rehab window for your hips leading into that year and you said that you you started playing rugby then so how'd that yep. all come about yep. so 2016 pre-season when i went down there was a write-off my arm just wasn't working then um and then i was just basically rehabbing the whole super preseason 
on my arm, just like doing all this band work and stuff, just to try to get the muscles working. Got to a point where I just plateaued for so long with my arm being about 80%, like I could lift it, but it just wasn't full range and it just wasn't there. And once I sort of hit that limit for quite a while, the physios are just like fire out. Like we don't know if it's going to get better. Uh, you can just either play rugby and actually get on the field. So then you have like this year to sort of get better and then have a go next year because of your contract. Or um, you can just leave it and keep getting it strong and then play when it gets right. But like, we don't know how long it's going to take and all this sort of stuff. So we just, but they were kind of pushing me to play and just test it out because they're like stuff that like, you need to like, you need to get on the horse kind of thing. Like now, like even if you're going to blow out, like you still need to do it. So yeah, we made the decision to play. Um, it was like middle, it was like March, start of club season or whatever. And literally two and a half years since I, um, since I played last and yeah, just, just jumped on the field and, went to play and I remember I pretty much got yellow carded straight away just doing like just like, doing something like I, I don't even know what I did and then um yeah I just took me a couple of games and I blew out like my AC joint I had no muscle in my arm whatsoever like AC joint was gone like all like sort of ripping and tearing everything damage like neck was no good and all this sort of stuff just because I haven't played for so long and I was wanting to like obviously play well and I think I was also like had done so much rehab and stuff I was quite highly sensitive and aware of the way my body felt so if it didn't feel right obviously it wouldn't feel right playing rugby but I was really hyper aware of that because I spent so long like knowing little micro movements in my body I was hyper aware of how my body should feel and so it took quite a long while to adjust to like actually playing rugby. Um, and I remember I couldn't string like three games together, basically like that. And that was sort of a repeat process for much of uh, that year, um, like, like calf muscles and all this sort of stuff. And then, um, yeah, sort of got to Martin Cup with Magpies that year. And literally I played no rugby. Like I think I played five club games that year and no rugby in two and a half years and my rugby before that was like year 12 Lindisfarne first 15 and we're not like a top eight or a one's uh tier 10 um and yeah it's just straight into playing super rugby uh sorry um uh NPC rugby with the magpies and so yeah first couple of games were um pretty big workload on my arm and then my arm blew up <laughs> just because the load it just wasn't used to the load um, and my arm just blew out and did the same sort of thing again but it just wasn't as bad um, just the nerves and stuff in my arm just freaked out and then stopped working for sort of like eight weeks or something like that but yeah that was like 2016 played a couple in game came off the bench a couple of times for Hawks Bay at the end of 2016 and um, and that was that but I finished the season like injury free and I just went straight down to Wellington and I just on the grind get my body right and then I just put on like basically like seven kgs like I was only like playing NPC at like 97 kgs dripping wet arm not working no experience with rugby at all basically yeah and yeah, I just went straight down to Wellington and just got on the grind and yeah sort of led into 2017 pre-season and yeah. No crack on so you get into 2017 you're sort of feeling a bit better considering what you've been through the past two and a half years 
not being able to string any consistency together. Kane's preseason, you rip in, put some weight on, and then was it back to the club footy to build yourself back up to hopefully getting a look in for the Canes? Yeah, so no, twenty seventeen. Um, yeah, as I said earlier, like the um, the arm sort of got to a stage into twenty sixteen when it was more robust, and then I was like, oh yeah, okay, now you know, last year of contract uh, or guaranteed contract, like I, I'll kind of like. I go hard out, like burn the boats, leave nothing behind. Um, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, I, I, it took a long time for my arm to get right, but I basically sort of willed it to get right because I sort of like created this mindset. I was almost like, you know, if, if my arm uh, gets right and, you know, I don't make it as a rugby player, that would be better. And I would accept that more so if my arm never came right and I never really played because I think I had a bit of um, anxiety in there or anxious thought about like the level of play that I'd be at when I came back. Um, and so I just tried to eliminate that and just said, you know, stuff it. you know, I don't care. Uh, I, I want to get back and I want to have that challenge because I want to know. And I think almost that plus combination with a whole lot of other stuff really sort of cemented um, my arm getting better and and yeah like I said started 2017 I felt like I had a had a mean preseason got through that all um, played like actually played all right like my best footy I'd played uh, in that preseason for the Hurricanes I remember we played the Blues and I started number eight and felt good um, the Hurricanes had just contracted Reed Princip, uh and there's still a couple of people a couple of loose with injured Blade Thompson was returning from injury uh, maybe Brad Shields was injured too. And so, yeah, for the first round, we're playing the Sunwolves over there. And I was like, oh, potentially could be called over. But they decided to take Red Princip. At the time, as a Māori All Black, quite a few years older than, than me, actually played professional rugby and had a bit of experience under his belt. And he's a good player. So, yeah, they took him. And then uh, I just remember I was training, uh, trying to train hard and everything. And then, uh, yeah, at training, I, I ended up going pretty hard and putting pressure on the guys uh, we were about to play the Chiefs because they're quite a um, physical niggly team and so I was trying to do that as a, as a player and um, yeah I ended up getting like concussed at training um, yeah like pretty yeah pretty bad and I was like it's kind of that whole mindset I think the whole time as well of like as I mentioned earlier is like trying to push uh, hard to go like, harder and all this sort of stuff and not really recognising or being smart around like times I could push, times I could pull back. But anyway, got a concussion and I was kind of out. I was a bit busy for about three weeks. Couldn't run or anything and, and that's that. But when you're in, in rugby, there's a, you've got to like have a sort of like loading programs to avoid injuries, sort of science behind that. And so uh, with, with obviously concussion, you don't do anything. So you go from doing a lot of running mm. and your muscles being primed and used to it and your back and hamstrings and everything and calves to then not doing anything and then coming back in and I, I remember like I just three weeks going past and I, I was like better and I, I just thought a young naive athlete at this time and I didn't really realize it and so I like came back and I was just like full of energy wanted to go again and I, I like boosted off on a sprint like try to do top sprinting kind of thing or whatever and boom tweaked my hammy and, just, and I was like what the heck like this is all of these learning and it's honestly like the amount of times you're like oh my gosh and then yeah, so I, and I kind of kept that quiet, but I did my hemi tight, and I was tight, and I just was like, oh, you know, I'm probably not right to play club rugby here to the physios and stuff, knowing, like, if I go out there and just free reign, I'm going to, like, 
tear my hand me to shreds or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I knew, and I knew, kind of knew, like around the season, like there are a couple games coming up against some lower teams. Like I, if I was going to debut, I'd most likely debut against them. And yeah, so that was like three weeks. Uh, I was twenty this year, and then I, I sort of was just like hopping around, training, not really doing much. Missed a couple of trainings, and then. And then I remember, like, um, I didn't get named in the team to play that week. And then that week, it was real weird. Like, every week I would do my homework and, like, be real on top of it. Even if I wasn't going to play, like, I'd always nail my lineouts and, and do everything to, to the standard. But I really specifically remember that week, I, like, went real extra hard out. I don't know if I was just, like, frustrated with not getting in the team or whatever, because it's, like, disappointment every week that you're not in the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're an active player and so I was just like oh, I'm just going to like learn everything so well and just learn it all so I can just go hard out at training and just like smash them and just try like carve up and fortunately or uh, unfortunately for Callum Gibbons but fortunately for myself he sort of pulled out on Thursday morning he's like nah I'm not going to play because he had an Achilles tweak and they didn't tell anyone or anything like that and I didn't even know I didn't even know and we went up to a team meeting and uh, like the manager's sort of uh, lectern was there and it's placed at a certain position. And I like I know like when it's in that position, the manager's going to speak and when it's over there, like the techies are going to do their thing. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of weird that that's there. Um, I was like, oh, is it someone's like 50th game and they, they forgot to mention or I was like, yeah, I didn't even, I honestly didn't even register, <laughs> register with me because I didn't know that he was out at this point. Yeah. And then all of, and, um, but like, I remember I was also in the gym earlier that morning because I was just sort of like, uh, I, was, I was just like trying to work harder because I was just sick of just being stagnant or not getting picked. So trying to work harder. And I remember John Plumtree came up to me and he was just like, oh, like, how are you feeling? You, you, like, been, you, you've been training well, like going pretty good. Um, I was like, yeah, yeah, and I feel good and stuff. But I hadn't played for three years. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to like, it's almost like I just wasn't playing. Um, and yeah, got to the meeting and then, manager walks up and I was so oblivious and he's just like oh we've got some you know big news um congratulations to this debutant uh this week and I didn't even still think anything and then they put my photo up on the screen and the whole team was like, <sighs> like, like yelling bro like yelling and everything like like and then it would quiet down quiet down and I was like I was like floating. I like, well, I was like, what has just hit me? Debut. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, thankfully, like I did did my homework and I was covering all, I just always cover all three positions. So I was actually covering open side that week. So it's additive here and then me um, covering open side. And then, um, yeah, yeah, just got into training. I pretty much did the whole training run because I hadn't done anything with the main team. I just did the whole training run at seven, felt mean, um, hamstring felt good, but I was so nervous, immediately nervous because I was like, fire out. I need to get through this training <laughs> with my with my handy. And honestly, it was felt like I was holding on by a tiller. Like it didn't feel good. Like Ricky Ricantelli used to always do the strapping where he would just straight strap his hammy. And I was like doing the Ricky Ricantelli strapping, like strapping it up. <laughs> doing mindset like absolute mindset just to try to sneak through and stuff <laughs> and then um captain's run like couldn't sprint couldn't do anything didn't want to sprint and then yeah got to the game thankfully came on uh for Adi, which was which was mean in itself and then um pretty cool he's like captain all that's now and then 
yeah, just sort of debuted and played like 15, 20 minutes uh, against the Cheetahs. Uh, we ended up winning. I mean, there's probably like more tries in the last 15 minutes than anything. So I like touched the ball a couple of times. I actually, no lie, like I got this like nice ball from Vince, Vince Russell, and I made like a half sort of break and sort of sprinted like 20 metres and like in the clear, like almost well and truly almost to the line. And then um, the ref pulled it up because it came forward out of Vince's hand. Uh, I was like, damn. Um, but I was pretty nervous as well in that game because it was like first game for ages and just over the moon like so stoked and then since my birthday like that week as well my 21st birthday like uh, five days before or whatever so um, yeah debuted and um, yeah it's like such a surreal experience to like enter that realm of being like a super rugby player or, or to play it you know with the guys that you play with and and all that and then yeah like my parents both mum and dad were there which was which was a cool experience and even more so with what happened later on um but yeah that was that i guess from all the battles you've gone through up until that point and even tweaking your hammy so close to it like you said it would have just felt so rewarding to finally get there because you know like I, i can hear it in your voice bro like how much it meant to you at the time and it probably looking back on it, it was probably, you made it out to be a bigger deal than it probably was because, you know, like you're young and you're still trying to like navigate your way through everything. But I do want to point out in that game as well, because I I actually remember watching it with a few of the boys that you know from uni, bro. Uh, Like like Jack Mack. um, I can't remember whose flat we were at, bro. But there was a point in the game where the boys actually pointed to you being captain and like the whole flat lost it, bro. They're just like, what the hell? What the hell? What the hell? That was strange, bro. That was that was madness. Yeah, like fifteen minutes to go. Um, Mark Abbott comes in, and uh, 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 Mark Abbott comes on the field to replace someone, and um, he goes like, "Oh, Hugh Boydie, you know, Chris Boyd says you're like your captain. You know, you're the leader, bro. Lead the team." I was like, "This is just stupid." Like, like David captain, no, nah, like this is the same. They're just playing up, but I don't know that like, maybe they'll just like. This is the only game he's gonna get. Is oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't know, but yeah, yeah. So like, and there was actually a couple of entrenchments, and I was like speaking to the ref, and everyone. So that's why I was like, "What the heck?" Because all the boys saw that. Like I was speaking to the ref, and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah. taking it seriously." <laughs> so it was serious, but yeah, that was a cool experience. Just all in one, I was like, "Far out," um, yeah. and just so thankful I didn't blow my hammy. But there's more to that story um, after that. But pretty cool night. Just, you know, I hung out with family and all my mates and I guess it was cool like it was cool because I spent a lot of time with my uni mates and stuff like um that sort of seen me as a normal person obviously you are, you are a normal person but like my arm wasn't working for a long big portion of that so they'd seen a lot of the progression as well from like not being able to lift it up and like being sort of emotionally and visibly upset with my lack of progress or even though I'd probably made progress I still wasn't leaps and bounds where I could see myself and then mm-hmm. yeah just to sort of debut and have all the mates and family there was, was pretty cool and then yeah to, to debut but yeah to come back a couple of years later and play on that same field with the Highlanders against like Duplessis and stuff and, and the same mates are in the crowd too that was a that was another cool experience yeah 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 the boys at Miley and all that yeah I, I just remember that vividly. Yeah. How, how yeah just how stoked they were for you because yeah like you said they'd seen um, what you've gone through up until that point. But you, you mentioned the fact there's a bit more to that Hammy story. So what, what happened after that game and maybe went into you not playing another game for the Canes that season? 
Yeah, well, they actually went off to Africa the next day. And so I wasn't on the African team. They took two open sides. I was playing open side predominantly then. I took Adesavea and Callum Gibbons, of course. So I was left at home. I was stoked. Debuted. Uh, and I was like, yep, play club this week. And I had like been monitoring my load like in terms of like not running or sprinting, really. Just creeping over the line and then debuted. And I kind of just thought that, boom, I was like healed, good to go. On, on cloud nine, I was like, oh, yeah, got nothing to worry about. Play club. Felt the best I'd honestly felt during the warm-up. Hammy felt meant everything. Played 60 minutes, felt good. And I, I hadn't played that many minutes of rugby in, like, a good month. And then, yeah, like, the wing made a break. I was on one side of the field, and I sprinted, like, a uh, horizontal line, basically, like, to try to get him. And then um, just before, that he scored the line, I went to dive out, and I put I was sort of, like, in an extended leg position and then went uh, pulled all my weight through one leg and just went boom bro the worst pain like a shotgun going off oh. and the worst pain like like daggers in the hamstring like full shotgun like looking around what the heck happened and like I couldn't sit I, I almost crawling off like I couldn't sit down on the bench after the game I couldn't sit down on my ass, I couldn't like do anything. The whole hammy was just like ended up, you know, discoloring and then oh. just so sore. And then I sort of like blew my hammy, eh? So so that was yeah, I don't know, another lesson, but I, I learned my lessons in time, but yeah, I didn't <laughs> didn't learn that for a while. But yeah, that ruled me out for a little bit anyway. And I tried to come back. We're playing the line, um obviously the British Nash Lions that year as well. The hurricanes were playing them and I I tried to come back to that but then I, I was I wasn't uh fit enough to be in contention for that and and then yeah just I just couldn't get back before the end of the season there was only like another month or so to the end of the season yeah I just couldn't um get back fighting fit again um and yeah that was kind of my um my hurricanes sort of journey there it was it's quite interesting uh Corey Jane and, and I we're obviously in the same team that year. And I got along pretty well with Corey. Like, he's a bit of a jokester. And I was a young guy. And I don't know. I, I like his humour and stuff. And um, we both got poured in, bro, to this, like, off day. And, and we're like, oh. Uh, and Corey goes into the meeting before me and comes out. And then I was like, oh, it's all good. And he's like, nah. like not good news for him. I'm mm. like, oh, shit. And then I went in there and then they sort of just – have a bit of a reflection and a long story short, like they were like basically said they weren't going to sign me for next year. They weren't going to offer me a contract before Mitre 10 Cup. Uh, they'll look at Mitre 10 Cup, but that's a bit of a death sentence. They weren't really going to, yeah, like I wasn't in their plans going forward, basically. Uh, go downstairs and then it was just me and Corey in the change room. He's like, and he consoled me a little bit. I was a bit upset and, and he, mm. he's like granddad, bro. He's like 10, 15 years older than me. And he's just, he's at one end of his career and told like he's not going to be re-signed next year. And then I'm at the beginning of my year, 21, telling him that I'm not going to be re-signed. And I was just pretty upset. I was just, uh, he's just like, oh, you know, that's us, mate. Like, fire up. That's pretty shitty and all this sort of stuff. But he's always been a real good guy, eh, Corey. And I just remember that moment. He's like, like almost like arm around you, bro. Like, that's all good. And and there are there were real good guys in that team like I just all of them were just real good fellas like had good relationships with 
the likes of um, like Artie was one, but then uh, Brad Shields, Kelly Gibbons, and Mark Abbott, and a few Hawks Bay guys like Ben May, lived with him, lived with Jeff Cridge, and Jeffrey Tumanga Allen. Like, he um, looked after me, Matu Matu, uh, like all those guys. So um, it was pretty tough, like, to hear that. And then, like, yeah, just guys got around you and just sort of said, you know, like, it's all good and, and whatever. And, and yeah, sort of that was the end of that hurricane season, bro. And then, well, that was towards this sort of, that was probably like a month to go in, in the season. And then we ended up playing, making the semi final and making the lines. And then um, I, I heard talking to my dad a little bit, he, he wasn't doing too well anyway, like mentally and stuff. This has mm-hmm. got nothing to do with uh, rugby or anything like that. He just, he just sounded a bit different and stuff. So um, mum and dad were like pretty keen for me to come home for like a week or something. And then it happened, yeah, came home uh, when the team went over and played the line. So we got to go home for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, I obviously I, I, I was always going to ask this question, bro. And I, it's very tough for me to ask it, but um, I know that you ended up losing your father that same year as yeah. well. And I guess I wanted to, you know, on the topic of, you know, like tough points in your life, I, I sort of want to try and bang them out as quick as possible, bro, because I'm not sure if they're a sensitive topic for you to reflect okay, on. Bro. But, yep. you know, you, you so obviously that was guttering to hear that you're not going to be able to kick on with the Hurricanes. Yeah. Um, and then you're looking to roll into the Mitre 10 Cup with the Magpies that year. But before that happens, um, like you said, yeah. your old man's not doing very well. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, right. he's, he's not with us today. So can, yeah. can you talk us through that? You know, obviously... Again, like you've you've gone through so much at such a young age, but then to you know that is probably the worst. It is the worst of it all, having to face all that. Yeah. So, how did you, I guess, initially take all that in? You know, on top of what you're already dealing with, and then being at the bottom of the barrel, how did you bounce back up? Yeah, um, like I sort of just reflect on on how I was feeling in those times and things, and I remember like I've always been like quite an individual person and, and on my own time I, I'd probably you know during high school or out of high school I'd probably call my parents and maybe like once every two weeks or once a week kind of thing and, and I had a great relationship with my parents and we were real tight and stuff but you know I, as a teenage kid or whatever you just do your own thing for a while and um and so yeah and then that was like 2017 and honestly I'd always I used to call my parents like every week almost like struggling a little bit like sort of telling them like far out like I, I didn't train well today or I don't know my body's not good or like all this sort of stuff and then um I sort of um was talking to dad and he was sort of like all good in, in my sort of way of, of hearing and stuff like that and then the mum mentioned he was not doing like too well like he's just like a bit down a bit depressed like not, not like so like sad or anything like that but he was just sort of like it was weird because I'd never seen my dad depressed or anything like that and I didn't recognize that whatever dad was going through was depression. And he was always like a strong individual, like would always wake up at five in the morning and go work and always cook dinners and this and really mm-hmm. active dad and watch the rugby and be involved and stuff. So I'd never um, seen him vulnerable or anything like that. And then, um, so I, I was just going to come home reset for me but then also like help out on the farm if I could or help out at home or or, or whatever and yeah got home and um I remember um dad picked me up uh from I remember I trained with Hawks Bay that night or whatever and, and dad picked me up from training and I was he was he was very vulnerable like 
and I, I was like, I, I was real shocked to the system. Like I'd never seen that before. And um, and he had been to the doctor, like mom had taken him to the doctor and all this sort of stuff. And the doctor was talking through the symptoms of like mild depression and, and anxiety and, and like stress and all this sort of stuff. And I was quite an aware individual, but then also I think you learn a lot through experiences and things like that. And so I sort of was always learning all the time, but hadn't learned a lot. Yeah, and then I was just home and just dad was just struggling mentally with his mental, long story short, with his mental health. And I don't know if he recognised what it was even, and, and no one really recognised it. But when I was home, we definitely obviously recognised it. And then we, I just sort of sat down with mum and, and, and we all like made a bit more of a plan. And, and he, like I said, he'd been to the doctor, he'd um, done all this, he'd all this sort of stuff. He was aware and going to bed and doing all that. And then... Yeah, that sort of went for a week, uh, 10 days, and I just sort of kept pushing out the time that I had to go back to Wellington and then keep pushing it out, keep pushing it out. I know we're in Africa, so it didn't matter, but they lost the game and they were coming back and they're going to be back in New Zealand by Wednesday and then because they lost the game and then Thursday we're going to have like a prize breakup and then disperse. And so um was helping Dad and stuff like that and... and We'd got through all the checklist and had, had gone again to the doctor and, you know, got mum to tell him, you know, about suicide and ask about the thoughts of the doctors and all this sort of stuff. And then it's just so unfortunate, like, um, I uh, ended up, uh, it's quite a lot happened, like, I think on a farm, like, so many different things happened, but it's, dad had dealt with everything before as well, like water not working or cattle or seasons or whatever not working, but I think he just really depleted his uh, chemical resources or whatever that he was really struggling with um, with day to day. And it's something that I notice, um, whether it's myself or friends now, it's like when you sort of struggle to do like the day-to-day activities or process stuff is actually when your mental health is not doing too, too well. Um, and, and actually like having a bit of a hand to sort of help you get through a couple of those tasks or like having a complete break and then coming back to the task uh, is often a trick uh, that works. And it's almost like um, with what I've learned through uh, exercise and rugby now, I'd always want to do more, 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 but actually doing more, more, more can be detrimental to uh, where you want to go. Uh, and actually doing less, not necessarily like the quality or whatever, but just actually doing less lifts up your efficiency and lifts up the quality it's like that 80 20 rule or something like that like what 20 percent of what you do gets 80 percent of the results or something and i learned that the hard way through injuries and stuff like that but it's almost like that because i've been inherently through seeing my parents have obviously just worked so hard their whole life do more do more do more and this is what dad was facing i think he was like do more do more do more but he was struggling with process the stuff that he was going through he was tired he was run down he had a big workload working up to that so many balls in, in, in motion uh, and unfortunately that clouded his decision making um he himself didn't i guess he probably didn't understand it but he didn't also seek out enough help uh to sort of recognize that and get those processes better until his mind was i i believe depleted uh and his decision making was not even him and he made a very poor, poor decision on the 2nd of august 2017 to take his own life like that was that was tough like obviously like mm. crazy um and like i said like 
from the outside, we had like made a plan and and done this, 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 and doctors were involved, like professionals were involved. But the individual himself, it came on quickly because he probably didn't recognize it in his life before or understand it from examples or experiences that he had had in his life that he didn't help himself, I don't believe, and then it was too late, and then the chemicals weren't there, and he made a poor decision, like, it's pretty crazy what your mind, or what happens in those situations. Oh, and it's just, it's sad, like, and that's why now, I'm like, I don't have any answers or anything like that, and it still affects myself or anyone, it affects so many people, like everyone, but like I'm a real advocate for being like hyper, hyper aware and vigilant of where you are mentally on the spectrum. Like if you're falling, you really need to put things in place to halt the halt the falling or stagnate stagnate it to stop it, just so your mind can figure out, you know, what's next or or how to how to get better. Because I've noticed the fall can be really quick. And it's in those times where like poor decisions can be made that can lead to harming yourself, mm. self-destruction basically. And that's not good. And you don't want that to happen. And it was so sad, like so hard on our family and, and mum and everything. And I'll get to that in a minute, but um, the onus is really on the individual early because no one knows what's going on in someone's head. Like, I don't know what's going on in your head. You don't know what's going on in my head. Partners, however close they are my parents were like the closest like married like 30 years or whatever like only been to, uh, apart like three days in 33 years or something like that and you still don't know what's happening in someone else's mind and that's like that to the nth degree with everyone and so the owner should be really on the individual to figure out how is your mind state to, to then try to seek out and continue to seek out until you get better whether that is talking to someone and counseling it's something I find like I, I talk to someone and I sort of gauge how they're doing like sorry gauge how I'm doing through the dialogue with them and I start to figure stuff out for myself or I'm really lucky like I, I have a couple like great coaches but then a couple like great teammates or people around me family doctors or whatever and it's quite interesting like when I get physically really strewn out from like long training or, or mentally fatigued like it's quite noticeable changes and patterns and stuff like that and um we need to like a, a bit of a rest or we need to just sort of like get a bit better with your routine or, or or check that out or just a bit of mental cues um and just all i'm um, all the time i think uh it's a good skill to have is to just to be aware of where you're at mentally because honestly like i feel like there's so much uh and everyone's becoming more aware now, but everyone's aware of like if you're physically sick or if something's injured or your heart's not working or your neck's sore or something like this. But like the mind is affected. Like I just feel like the mind's affected like a million times more. Every single day we're going through thousands of emotions. Um, well, not thousands of emotions, but you know, all these emotions. Mm. Um, sometimes we're awake and alert. Other times we're fatigued. Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we're sad. And people say you're not your emotions and stuff like that but I mean we experience those emotions so we kind of are those emotions but being really aware of that stuff can actually be really helpful because I believe it really has to be ownership on the person themselves to to stop or to slow down or to put in place 
the things around them to, to, to help themselves mentally. And, and it's not an overnight thing. Like you might notice you're slipping or whatever, and it might be one or two or three weeks, but if you can slow that down and just get some consistency with that, often you'll find that your up rhythm will be back up again. Uh, and unfortunately for, for, for dad, like he, he didn't do that. He didn't have that. He was trying and like going to doctors and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, he made the poor decision, and it, it, is, it is a poor decision, and, it, and it, it's sad, and it, we shouldn't lose anyone to suicide, but we do, so we need to be better. But um, that was a massive shock, obviously, to me and my family. But like that day was real. The day before he passed away, it was real tough. Eh? Like um, I was helping dad on the farm, and then uh, I had a flight down to Wellington because I needed to pack up my flat do the Hurricanes Awards and then come back up to play my cup like the following week or something or two weeks away. Um, yeah, like that just happened and then got down to Wellington and basically I was exhausted myself and crashed out to sleep and then woke up at like six in the morning and a uh, phone call from mum and then, yeah, I just called Steve Simons who's the player development manager at the Hurricanes and I just said, pick me up this address right now. I need you out. I need to go to the airport. And then I just went to the airport and I just jumped on the plane and I just went, got picked up in the car from the airport at Napier and I just went home. And I saw mom and just hugged her and then, oh, and then just so many emotions from that, like the grief process, the healing, um, and and the sadness. Like every day, uh, you, you don't have this loved one in your life, and that's like you never that never leaves you. You know, like. I'm grateful for everything my dad has done for me and who he is and everything like that. But you, you still don't have a dad to talk to, you know, probably like you, you, you your phone pops up and, you know, it's his dad or whatever. That hasn't happened for me for four years. And that's so sad. I guess that's um, probably the, the sad reflection of uh, like your old man's generation and, you know, probably even like my dad's generation, bro. There's just this stigma about, <laughs> you know, not looking for help and that mm. tough guys, you know, they get through it themselves. Um, and I think that thankfully now with our generation, it's not necessarily frowned upon, but people are encouraged, like you said, to, you know, seek help if they feel like they're not in the right place, you know, that like, that's the yeah. first step, you know, just vocalizing it. Cause I, I yeah. feel like anyone who's gone through some stuff, they, they feel, even though it's still tough having to go through it, like once you actually talk to someone and get it off your chest, so it's not all bottled up inside you and feel like it's something you have to deal with yourself, you, you feel a lot better. And you're like, you said, yeah. unfortunately, your old man, you know, um, just thought things became a bit too much for him um, with, mm. with the stuff that was going on in his head. Um, but then, like you said now, like you're, you're an advocate for, for mental health and I'm guessing it's, it's probably even something you, you know, like something you hold dear to your heart now whenever you, are going through probably struggles yourself and something that you probably think about or what's you know sort of spurred you to get where you are in your career yeah it's an interesting thing uh the older generation and uh, i mean we're fortunate and we're not fortunate in our generation because we have access to so many resources and stuff that need to learn uh at a fingertip kind of thing um it's it's a funny thing like i i uh, notice i notice a little bit now i'm t 25 now and i just notice like I, I do things physically and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh, because my dad passed away when I was essentially like a, a boy, like I was 20, 21, like a young man, mm. nowhere near like a, a grown adult or anything like that. And now I think like I'm also a grown adult. And so I'm sort of seeing mannerisms in my dad 
from quite a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago that I'm sort of starting to do as a man now. And it's just interesting sort of seeing that. And it's kind of a cool thing as well because I kind of get a bit of nostalgia from that. But it also gets me thinking as well. I think far out, like, you know, our old man, their generation would just be like, tough it through and carry on and do all this sort of stuff. And those are all like good qualities and strong qualities to have. But there's so many more other qualities that are far better for you as well. And mm. I think those qualities are all good. And what I'm trying to say is that if they had uh, sort of like, a bit more understanding and a bit more self-awareness and vulnerability to explore and help themselves mentally because things aren't new, you know, like um, mental health isn't new and, and life experiences aren't new. Everyone experiences life in, a, in so many different ways. But if you can be aware of the way you're acting, uh, the way your mind is, uh, is acting to situations, uh, instead of just tough, toughing it through, you're just going to be in a far better place. I think toughing it through is a good quality to have in some aspects, but uh, not in every aspect and certainly not in a way where you have to really understand what's going on and almost see yourself from an external place and think far out, like, what level of health am I on? Like, you know, if a 100% fully healthy human yourself is this, where am I sitting on that? Am I sitting like a, an 80% or if I'm sitting like a 40, 50%, like where am I sitting and being able to check in with that as a skill to, to have rather than just being like, oh no, I'm 100%, I'm going to be 100% now because I tell myself to be 100%. I think good skill to have, but having that awareness of where you are can just be so much helpful and more beneficial to just because you can never be Technically, I don't think you can be 100% on, like, mentally all the time. 100%, bro. Not on the head. All right. So, you're dealing with that while also yeah. playing for the Magpies that year. Um, yeah. And that year plays out. And, um, unfortunately, from what I've read online, Hawks yeah. Bay don't resign you. Yeah. Off the yeah. back end of that season. So, and then you make yeah. the move down to Canterbury the following year. So, yeah, like the, like what did that? Uh, again, I don't want to. Ref- I don't want to take you back to those times because you know I know that there's no, there's sensitive places, but that must have been so difficult to deal with. It's, it's almost like you just keep getting smacked and smacked and smacked. And you're like, when's this going to end? Yeah, well, unfortunate, like fortunate in the fact that I, I've I've had like really good people around me, like my my mum and dad, and like a, a few like mentors that I've sort of pick traits up on and a few mates and stuff like that um but I'm quite stubborn as well I'm quite individual so I think like I try to do it like go real hard out and that can be a big cause for pain because you start to think oh like I'm trying real hard and it's not working or I'm trying real hard and it's not working so actually being like flexible and adaptable is like as a skill or a way that can just help you achieve where you want to go and I think for me the one thing the whole time that hasn't faltered or changed is like that deep inner vision and feeling of where I'm going and what I want to do. So many emotions around it, like so much pain in terms of like loss and injury and um, not being signed and, and pathways being shut down or not being open or doubts and fears but the inherent vision and belief I guess it's belief it has to be some sort of belief and idea of what you want to do and go and what you want to make of your life so I sort of almost 
almost had zero, restart again and said, I don't care about contracts. And obviously you care about making, you want to make the all-backs, you want to make the rugby, you want to make this, but basically mm-hmm. had to almost retire again from when I showed I was my first retirement. And this was almost my second retirement. Obviously I wasn't retired. It was yeah. a restart. It was crap. And I had to be like, okay, what do I want to do? And I wasn't good at this. And so I immediately said, oh, I want to go to Wellington and, and prove you wrong and do all this. And I want to stay on Spain and do this. And I want to, I mean, like, that might be an option and that might be an option, but it was all kind of surface stuff. It was like, okay, what do you actually want to do? Like, what was the base? And the base for me was be the best rugby player in the world. And, you know, that's rugby. So that's nice and clear. That's a branch. Okay. And the other is like, be like business um, sort of, what's the nuts and bolts of business, like accounting and finance. Okay, so that's one, that's two things I can do to balance it out. I'll do the study of accounting and finance and I'll do my rugby. Obviously my mum was a big influence and then, and, and Campbell, my family was a big influence and yeah, just, uh, I bit the bullet and I called up the academy manager, uh, Aaron Webb, and I, I just said, hey, look, I'm going to come down and check out uni. Can I have a coffee? And he called me back. And he goes, hey, mate, yeah, I remember you. Actually, we've got an internal game with Academy. The All Blacks are playing and Crusaders. Do you want to come play? And I was like, uh, yep. Hadn't really done any contact or whatever. He's like, sweet. Flew down, literally doing deadlifts. Like, I was like, yeah, I've got to prepare. Doing deadlifts blew my back out at the start of the week. Again, hadn't learned from my lesson. But I'm telling you what, I'm, I'm learning. I've learned now, but it's taken a while. And then I ended up playing that game, felt, feeling really good, played all good. And I was, came back, no pressure on myself or whatever. And I said, yep, moving down, moved down into uni, into training. I just literally walked into Christchurch Football Club because I remember at school I had a play in either Lincoln or Christchurch Football Club. I wasn't going to go to Lincoln and get a scholarship because I was already like 21 at the time. So I just walked into Christchurch Football Club literally walked up and I was like hey like can I like trial for Prems or whatever and they're like oh yeah mate you might play like Div 2 if you're lucky because the season's just about to start and I was like oh yeah went into Div 2 and then they quickly like I don't know brought me into Div 1 and then I started on the bench or whatever and then I just yeah just just kept having those anxieties of ah like I'm not making it or I'm trying to rush it or trying to do this but just kept having encouragement from and now it's, it's quite good for me reflecting on this, like from, from Campbell and, and Gavin. They just kept on encouraging me just to have a solid life and to play, just play rugby uh, and, and build up that. You know, obviously you want to get better at rugby, just be real solid and work on that. That's going good, you know, your university. But if rugby's not going good, you have your university, like go out and build friendships, party, hang out and just build a solid life and literally that's what I just sort of went to do. And I started at the bottom of um, club rugby and played club rugby there for a couple of years and played Bs and I was in the mix with Canterbury, but they were no contract spaces as it were, were, but they always brought me in and gave me a chance to train. And then there were a couple of injuries and played a couple of games with them. And and yeah, and just sort of worked away at my degree. I did two years full time and then sort of was like involved with Crusaders at the time quite a lot. So Sort of was only doing a couple of papers and yeah, just basically tried to work at building a solid life. And I think that was a big part of being solid in, in everyday life that sort of led to the branches or the tree being strong rather than being twigs, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I love that analogy. So you shut down to Canterbury, but rather than going like 100 miles an hour, you strip yeah. it all back 
and like you, you build your foundation and like like you should like you get the tree trunk and then spread the branches run rather than trying to go branches yeah. into the trunk yeah 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 exactly exactly so canterbury it's almost like like, like we just said you, you set your foundation so what happens between when you go down there what 2018 to yeah. then finding yourself playing with the tasman mark or in 2020 so um again i mentioned i was like pretty stubborn so i was like at that time i had real good conversations and relationships with the canterbury coaches ruben thorne and mark brown like great relationships and um they always said like we want to sign you but we can't there's no contract spaces and, and they were right like i wasn't a, a fool like i was sort of looking representing myself at the time and talked to a few people and there were no contract spaces and for like three years um, that I was there and they're like even like and they're like they have to be honest with you like even going forward for the future it's going to be harder because naturally like they bring in young guys and it's mm. just the way it works and there's not really a system to cater for decent athletes who could be professional rugby players when you're over 21 kind of thing and so I was in that bracket so I was playing B's for a couple of years and just doing my time like basically doing my time and in the trenches, or it's not the trenches, but you know what I mean? Sort of like the late night trainings, the shitty fields, the covered in mud on Tuesday, Thursday nights, like cold showers, though, you know, everyone's got to do it. Um, yeah. And it's good because I had a couple of like old school mentors and they like, and then Ruben Form was one. And that's, that's how they're all built on. And, and that's what my dad's life was built on. And so to actually stop being a pretty boy, um, not that I was, but like to, to get out of the professional rugby ranks and to actually to play rugby. And I remember like John Plumtree saying as well, like he's built from that stuff as well. And he'd be like, just play rugby and like have beers with the boys. And I never really understood it until like, you know, until you understand it. And that was, that was me. And then uh, there were no contract spaces in Canterbury and I had a yarn to raise and he's like, oh, like, when Crusaders aren't going to sign you, like I think you and he was trying to help in this situation, but he's just like, oh, I don't know how you're going to make professional rugby player, like rugby in New Zealand. Like you might have to like go to Aussie or go to Japan or go to America or go to Spain or, or whatever. And he was trying to help, but that's for an obsessed kid who wants to be better at rugby. That's not really the thing to say because you're, you know, that's your future. And I was like, in my head, I was like, yeah, 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 nah, <laughs> nah, like, or, like, like, thanks for your opinion. I've got a good relationship with him to talk to with, but thanks, thanks. For, like, in my head, I was like, thanks, but no thanks. Like, I've been through enough. I know what I want to do. And, look, like I said when I was injured, like, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. I'm back playing rugby. Who cares? And, and that kind of just, you know, you kind of burn the boats a little bit and you kind of just think, like, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, and you have to kind of have that mentality and it's so hard because you care about this thing so much to have that but it's a mentality that that helps but yeah I was, I was so stubborn so I wanted to stay in Canterbury Razor said there's no really chance of being with the Crusaders because I haven't really played or whatever and and then all of a sudden that year I got caught in like again I went home and I was like again I was like fire like how do I make professional rugby and everyone thought I was there doing university I was never there just the university I said it was a part of my life to like equal it out but mm. I was obviously like rugby and physicality I care about that like so much more uh the uni's good but like I was you know it doesn't doing accounting finance doesn't compare to playing <laughs> professional rugby and so I was always there to do that and um yeah just didn't have anything so I was like fire out and then like Jace Ryan or Razor or, or Shane the manager Shane Fletcher called me up and they're like oh can you be here tomorrow uh for a game 
I was in Hawks Bay. And I flew down like that that day to play a preseason like game with internal game. Played, felt like I did all good. Sweet, see you later. And then someone got injured. Hugh, can you come and train? And I was like, yep. Turned up, boom, see you later. Uh, it's just some guy comes back from injury. Some guy gets injured. Hugh, can you come train? Yep. Turned up, trained. They happened like four times that year. Uh, sorry, end of that year, like in January. And then the boys, like, I oh, was cracking up. Like, Mitchell Dunshay would always crack up. Like, he'd be like, what the heck? Like, they call you up, like, the day before, and you come in, and, you're, like, you're fit and good to go. Like, how do they even know that you're going to be, like, fit and be able to handle professional rugby and stuff like that? And he was just cracking up. Like, it's, it's just madness. Um, but I'll take I'll take it. I'll do anything to, like, have a crack. And, um, yeah, and then it was, like, the fifth time they called me and um, they said come in and, and then I came in and then just more and more injuries happened and so I just ended up staying for the whole of the 2020 basically with them which was awesome experience like learning and soaking up everything and being in that environment because when you're in that environment like you just get better like you mm-hmm. just can't help but to get better and uh, it was at that time that uh, I knew Canterbury were full and I knew Tasman potentially had a loose forward space but I knew they wanted to fill it with a local player and I was weighing things up in my mind. I was prepared to go to Tassie to um, play like a like, end of club season or whatever. But I felt at that time like I was good to play professional rugby. And if I spent another year in Canterbury, I was actually fully prepared to do that. I was about to do that just to stay in Canterbury. And but then the way it happened, it just kind of happened um, like it was meant to happen. But Ethan Blackadder unfortunately got injured and then had a meeting with Goody and he had a contract there. It was nothing though like it was after tax like a few hundred bucks a week to come up uh for 14 weeks and then yeah just I just yep didn't know what Tasman was like obviously knew they won the year before uh I'd been in the Canterbury system so all I knew was to hate Tasman um the baby brother and all this sort of stuff and then got up to Tassie and and boom it's just a perfect mix in Tassie of professional but relaxation which is a beautiful way to play the game of rugby I reckon is, is professional and seriousness but then relaxed and not too serious and don't take yourself too serious and that just seemed to be a good combination with um, great coaches uh, like Clark Germany, Dan Christie, Andrew Goodman who got me up, Greg Cornelius, Dan Pure, and like they're all just great, trainers are great um, Jimmy Hold and they're all good boys are obviously all, all good fellas and then yeah just ended up playing um, that season and felt like I was, did all, all good but you know nothing too special and yeah we won and I yeah, managed to start in the final with a few good loosies and then on Eden Park bro like to lift that trophy with uh, David Avili lifting that trophy and it was a pretty like uh, high energy high dopamine pretty ecstatic moment I was just floating because it's like far out like this is this is meant to actually like to actually do something in rugby so yeah you 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 take your opportunity with Tasman you win the competition uh you avenge an earlier season loss I remember watching that game because one of my good mates plays for Auckland and they did they did spank you and then you go back and you know like you, you lose um Mitch Hunt early in the game yeah and then you guys still find a way to win but yeah, like that's all said and yeah. done. It's in the books. So okay, you, you like you, you roll off the back of that competition. You're probably a little, you know, as high as that finishing with a cut was. You're probably a little bitter because you're like, 
fuck, that's awesome. But I want to take that next step. And no one came calling. But you did yeah. end up with the Highlanders, sorry. Um, yeah. So how did that all come about? Like, Did you have any conversations with Razor during that preseason if they wanted yeah. to be back in Canterbury as well? Yeah, he actually texted me after the final and we exchanged a couple of texts and he he, he sort of just, because he had noticed my where I was this whole sort of time and he just sort of said he's real proud of me to go up to there. And, and obviously Tasman is part of the Crusader region so that's part of that mm-hmm. as well. But he's a good guy and so we went into summer then and I, I, I had a personal relationship with a, a couple of the coaches from different super teams just because I'd come across them previously and just sort of let a couple of them know like um, just because I bumped into them like I was um, this is what I was doing and I was I was an option like I was fit and healthy and and had a, just a strong foundation and if they came calling like I would um, put my hand up and and help them as much as possible and then um, nothing <laughs> no Christmas bro New Year's nothing first couple of weeks nothing end of January nothing and I was thinking fire out I'm gonna have to be an accountant or something <laughs> and so and then I was like researching up accounting jobs and Nelson and bro I was like nah because I hadn't graduated at that point I could graduate but I was, wasn't sure how my degree was going to plan out or what I was going to do and I was still juggling it like I had to do if I wanted to I had to do like a couple more finance papers if I wanted to do like accounting finance psychology but I set myself up to graduate and then um I had a conversation with a couple of coaches end of January and um well, Clark Dermody texts back first or texts back and said, come down for two weeks. And um, I was like, yep, I want to do that. Get me down there. And I was just like a bull in a china shop, just <laughs> eager to get stuck in, bro. And the cool thing about uh, Highlanders rugby is they just let you compete. And Nuggy Aaron Smith was just like, compete, bro. Just compete. And like the guy who's who competes the hardest or whatever or the best player he'll get in and you'd always hear that in rugby environments but you'd often weren't sure if you'd get rewarded for being you know the one to to be the best or whatever um mm. I always felt if I was competing in a lot of environments and that was almost always my mindset and how I would even be invited to training was to compete but like down there I didn't really expect anything to change but I just took it on board and was like yep I'll, I'll compete hard and then um yeah just as I said um went to compete and do my best and then ended up starting the preseason or playing the two preseason games and starting the first one and then um and then on the bench for round one and and then that followed yeah for the season where basically playing like um and there's so many learnings and I look back and I've learned so much like obviously you don't know everything right at the time but yeah, ended up playing like 12 games for the Highlanders in the end, which was a, a massive overachieving of my goal. It's actually interesting. I had a goal, which was to play five games of Super Rugby, and that's a pretty ambitious goal at the end of 2020 because I had no contract and no Texas and no indication of being <laughs> with any team at all. And so ended up yeah, doing that. And I remember Ethan the Greek were having a yarn about it at the end of the season, and his goal he won't mind me saying was to play five games for Highlanders and he ended up playing like every game and then he became an all black, you know. So it doesn't really matter where you are or aren't. Like things can open up and they open up and I got a shot and got like a genuine crack and just good fathers supporting you and had a lot of good coaching and mentors like Nuggy and I mean when you have that 
uh, you can't not succeed really. Totally. Yeah, I love that. I can't remember like what the quote is exactly, but yeah, it's essentially, it's not when or how you get given your opportunity. It's what you do with it. Um, and like oh, you yeah, said, yeah. you just, you took it and ran with it. And it's interesting that you say, and I, and I feel like it's something that applies to any workspace where, you know, you talk about, okay, come in, do your best. And, you know, I'll pick whoever's performing, but you know, whereas like what I found, even like in the club battler space that I'm in, there's almost politics that go into it as well. Like you said, you, you would have been in some environments, but because you weren't the contractor player per se, you're still then, you know, a couple of notches back, you know, from the guy that you're competing with. But like you said, I guess yeah. that that's a credit to Tony Brown and co that they, you know, when they bring you in, they're a man of their word and look at you now, like you, you're a super rugby player. And another follow-up question that I did want to ask, you know, given you'd already played, you know, super rugby, you know, with your game, the Hurricanes, did that make that occasion when you're on the bench for round one any less nerve-wracking or did it almost feel like a first time again because of the, the length of time between those games? Yeah, well, well, two things to that. Um, one, it felt like a new thing because there's like almost in my mind, there's pre dad when he was alive and then post dad's death. Like when he, so honestly, my life feels completely different pre and post dad's passing. And so almost like I don't really remember anything pre. I obviously remember the memories of dad, but just the life in general. So like all those experiences of just feels like a different world for me because my whole world was flipped upside down, literally here to, yeah. the other side so um, in terms of that experience like everything I do now just feels new it feels so weird and, and, and good um, but then also like there's almost like a bit of one thing a bit of relief because like when you think about it I've probably been actively chasing this goal since I was like 15 14 15 and I was 24 when I debuted so you know that's almost a decade of being consciously aware and working towards uh, either preparing your mind or physically working towards something, whether that's training, playing rugby, and all this sort of stuff, to be in that realm. And you're, you know, and, and so that debut was being in that realm, and it was being named in the team. It was, it was like earned through playing, and and you're given that opportunity. So I was felt like I was mentally fully prepared for it, like. I was just feeling good. I just didn't care about whatever. And, and Ash Dixon always says, like, everyone's going to make mistakes, but stuff it, go out there and just have fun and rip in. And it's almost been when I've had my most success in life, whether that's rugby or whatever, it's just been when I sailed to a different land, burnt the boats and been, if I die, I die. If I win, I win. If I do, I don't. And so many times I haven't. I haven't won and it's been painful and I've got injured or I haven't been selected in teams or whatever. And so you think, oh, no. and, and, you know, naturally because you're in the moment that takes you down. But then on the other side of it, being real grateful and lucky and successful or whatever you want to call it on the other side to like play super rugby and play week in, week out and uh, to achieve that. And then, yeah, for me, it's like I almost finished my degree too now like I'm graduating at the end of the year if I pass these papers so put a pressure on me doing it on Zoom <laughs> but that's another thing as well so it's just it's almost like who cares just get stuck in and 
because you, you, yeah, you're you're the only you're the harshest critic. Eh? You're like the main measure of where you're at, and so you gotta. So hard to always have that mindset, and I don't have always have that mindset. But when I'm just reflecting on it, like that's when I've been lucky enough to be successful and to have failure as well. Is when you've just been all in, all chips are on the table. I know it's not the best way to live sometimes, and it causes a lot of anxiety. But then it's not an ordering ordinary life either, and it's exciting. So it's, yeah, I'd, I'd way rather choose that. And it goes back to, I guess, what I said to myself when I was sort of like 18. I was like. Jesus, like I would just rather play and uh, have my arm good and, and play and not be that good, or then then to not play and, and never never know. So it's been pretty cool. So mm. yeah, yeah. It's I, I again, like I don't, I don't want to try and like say that I've been through what you've been through, but it's quite crazy how you know you talk about adversity and at the time. You know, you've like you said, like you've you've hit the bottom of the barrel, and like even through some of my own experiences, yeah. like you feel like, you mean like like why is this happening to me? Like this isn't fair, and then like you keep getting knocked down, you keep getting knocked down, but then I guess like when you get to the point you did where you fought, like you said, you it was essentially like a ten year job for you to get to you know the ultimate job to where you're a professional rugby player full time yeah you know just reflecting on that you know like all the stuff that you've been through as tough as it was in those moments it makes that that ultimate moment so much sweeter so yeah again it's yeah, cool bro. Bro. Like, it's, yeah sorry like that's it's just cool for me when I, when I talk to guys like yourself who've gone through the wars who didn't have it all their way and then to yeah to to, to realize a dream and to realize that ultimate goal and you know, fast forward to now, obviously the competitions been brought to a halt in the midst of lockdown. I talked about how well um, your season started. Obviously, you guys are two and zero, and um, you're potentially starting again um, in a week and a half. But have you have you set any more goals for yourself individually um, moving forward? Yeah, I definitely have like uh, internal goals that are just always like clocked in place. Like I'm probably like lucky and not lucky because it's a curse and a blessing. Like. I always have measures that I want to get to. So definitely have those goals. And there's a couple like like written down or written down in my head. But for me, like like when I reflect again, it's been real good for me, this conversation both of you here. Like when I reflect on what I want to do and where I have been, again, if I have that sort of balance and that sort of stuff that you do, then things can go really well. And I sort of look at guys like David Avili and um and Ethan Blackadder and guys on my team like that and they're just real solid dudes, though, like real solid dudes in life and, and real solid dudes and, and what they do. And then they work hard towards their rugby, but their rugby doesn't define who they are. And those guys are at the top of their game and they're just normal people as well. And if I can emulate that sort of mindset, I think, like, you know, that's a good thing. And then you can achieve those goals that, of course, I've got personal goals and things I want to do. So, Hopefully all going well. Things will go that way. Mm. Best still yet to come for you, Renton. All right. I think that um that that pretty much wraps up your career or what I wanted to capture, bro. And I know I've been mm. talking to you for a buck a load of time, but before I do let yeah. you go, yeah, I've got I got two parts that I'd like to end all of my um guest interviews on. The first of which is could you please take me through your game day routine? Yeah, game day routine. Some of you guys who know me well crack up at at this but I always like it starts like the day before like I usually try to eat 
like a lot of food um, because uh, we've had a lot of afternoon games throughout the NPC. So always try to eat quite a lot the day before. Uh, usually a couple of the boys like to have a steak the night before game day. Uh, you have like just my electrolytes and water. Don't have any caffeine at all. Used to, and I just feel like I was just through through the roof. Eh? Like I'm pretty. I feel like I'm pretty chilled throughout the week, and I need caffeine to almost get you to that level. But when it comes game day, nah, like don't need caffeine because that seems <laughs> to go the other way, and I just can't focus. Like I'm just a bit off. So yeah, no caffeine, but pre-match meal is just like the standard what they have like they just have eggs and, and a, a hearty bit of carb mashed potatoes some um, spaghetti uh, and then I usually like to have like avo and salmon I just I don't know I just a bit of a had that like just yeah, a few times and that seems to be all good uh, and yeah that seems to be like I don't really listen to music um, I don't listen to motivational stuff might do like a bit of a focus thing just, you know, when I'm sitting there uh, in the changing room, just sort of focus on, you know, where I'm at, sort of just try to be a bit present, like nothing too serious, like sort of like up and down and move around and think I'm here and there and then, yeah, chuck my boots on, always chuck my left one on first. I don't know, I've always done that. <laughs> Mouth got in the sock. Don't really have any sugary drinks or anything or caffeine, as I said, and then don't listen to any music and then, yeah, just sort of get into it, really. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Part two, closing bit. It's called 10 in the bin. So I've just got 10 questions for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you can answer them as honestly as possible, be greatly appreciated. Yeah. All right. Question number one What's your go to vessel at a pre drinks on a night out? Oh, spates. No. Nah. <laughs> Don't spates. Nah, spates, but my old man used to drink rum. So, like, whenever I finished the game, my uncle would always buy me like a Karuba. And so that was like the first vessel I'd ever. Yeah, I'd say Spates, you know, if I was, had the choice. Ultra low carb or nah, the good stuff? Yeah, ultra low carb if you're having a couple, but, you know, try Star Gold if you're, yeah, if you're, you know, you got to have one of those. <laughs> Definitely, bro. All right, who's the biggest coach's pet you've been around? <laughs> um... <laughs> Sioni Havili, <laughs> him and Shane Christie are brothers. I think they might be father and son, actually. Yeah, those two are bloody peas in the pod, those two. As long as it works for him. All right. Uh, yeah. who, was, who was your idol growing up? Oh, Richie McCall, bro. Yeah, for sure. Like, Richie, he's, he's all I can remember on TV. And, and yeah, actually meeting him and going to him, he's a good father. Eh? Like, yeah, I'd say him for sure. Yeah, bro. One of the greats. Uh, what's your must-do on your day off? I'm terrible with days off. Uh, I'm terrible. My must-do would be just to relax for a portion of the day, you know, like sit on the couch and just do nothing or just, yeah. Uh, that's kind of a relax relaxation thing that I like is to do nothing, whether it's to just watch TV or whatever. But if I can do that on a day off, uh, that's me switching off. Not all, all, right. not all day, not all day, but <laughs> some part of the day. One in peace. Uh, what's your favourite cheat meal? Favourite cheat meal? Okay, I love uh, like double McChicken, like two McChickens, uh, Big Mac with uh, and then M&M McFlurry with uh, extra m and That's my go-to. But I don't, well, yeah, I, I haven't had it. In, I haven't actually had it out since we've been out of that uh, level four lockdown. But that's, yeah, that's a good thing. 
Yeah, I'm always surprised at how many of the rugby boys they smash their meccas, bro. Like, even um, the, yeah, the nugget tell you each every game or something. Yeah, well, or he just, yeah, after every game, he told me his yeah. thing. I'm like, bro, if you're my size, how the hell do you eat that much? But hey, like, yeah. he's a hundred cap all black, so I won't doubt him. Okay, yeah. if you weren't a rugby player, what would you be? It's a good question. I'd probably want to be like some sort of athlete, but I mean, I'm not very talented at anything else. Even rugby, I'm not really talented at that. But no, being some sort of athlete, like I get quite a lot of inspiration out of of my one of my best mates, Tom, being an Olympic rower, like winning the gold medal. I always thought like kayaking or rowing, something where you can, not necessarily individual, but something where you can just push yourself and real grunty to the max. Like there's something about that which is appealing to me for some weird reason. Yeah. Fair enough, fair Who's the cheapest teammate you've been around? The cheapest teammate. Um, everyone's pretty generous here. Who doesn't buy stuff? Hmm, trying to think who doesn't buy beers. Oh, I can't think off the top of my head. No, I don't know. Um, cheapest teammate would be like a club guy, uh, Manaki Paul Tete. The man, the man never buys a beer or anything. <laughs> Probably doesn't. Have, he doesn't have any money, but <laughs> that fella. I give him my couch to sleep on. I give him my house. I give him my food. I make him dinner. I give him that. And Dunedin, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, Malaki. <laughs> Brian, he's not yeah. cheap. I, yeah. I can't think of one. Sorry, Malaki. Okay. <laughs> All right, question number eight. Do you have a song or even a podcast that you're listening to at the moment that you could recommend to listen yeah, to? Yeah, I it. That's quite funny. I thought you might ask that, and I've listened to a podcast this morning, and it's the Huberman Lab. Uh, Huberman Lab, it's, it's a dude uh, who's a neuroscientist. I know it sounds a bit iffy with you, but he's actually so good. Like, his podcast is so good. Like, he teaches a lot about just everything, really. Like, this morning, he was teaching the thing about failure and the chemicals that get released when uh, you fail and what they actually mean and all this sort of stuff. does a lot with vision does a lot of like sort of like sleep and stuff so i learned one thing off of the other week he one of his daily routines is to get a hundred thousand lux sunlight lux from the sunlight which is a measure of sunlight before 9 a.m because you know you probably get a hundred lux within 10 minutes so he gets about 10 minutes through the eyes you don't look at it directly but just being outside and that sets your circadian rhythm to um you know just sets your day up really and so I've been trying to do that because my sleep pattern, I, sometimes I sleep too much. Sometimes I don't sleep at all. And my sleep's always been like out of it. So it's always a work on for me. But he says, do that in the morning before nine. So 100,000 lux before 9 a.m., which is about 10 minutes in the sun. And then do that again in the afternoon. And it balances you out. Because even when you're not traveling and stuff, we still suffer jet lag in some respects. Like, you know, when you wake up tired or you're just, you've had a disturbed sleep or you're out of it you actually kind of like jet lagged and stuff so it kind of helps but he's real interesting I've learned a lot from him actually he articulates it in a good way enjoyed it All right. I definitely have to note that one down uh, <laughs> who's the biggest <laughs> sounds good bro uh, who's the biggest grub you've played with and against oh yeah well there's a few grubs mate there's a few grubs <laughs> First, I'm going to go club rugby. So, biggest grub uh, playable from club rugby is Chris Mason. The first time I met him, he was our captain for Christchurch Football Club. 
some guy goes, this guy is mad. And I was like, nah, like, he's the nicest bloke, articulate, articulate, educated. He flies into a mall. Some dude's head's up. He flies in like this to bite, to join the mall. But he knows where this guy's head is. And he clips this dude like on the jaw. Mad, splits his head like that. This is the first game I see. Preseason, but he's uh, he says that he's just joining them all, but everyone knows that he knows where his head is, and he accidentally <laughs> clips this dude's chin, like knocks him out, splits his own head, and like drives them all to a try. He's a madman. He's a great man, Chris Mason, grub of all grubs. Uh, some player that's dirty uh, is Dane Coles. He's just a smart grub. Like he just gets you. Yeah, he's grub. He gets you. Another grub, current grub, I'd have to say, would be Ethan the group. He's a big man. And he's old school, eh? And he just loves to throw something in there or whatever. So if you're a flying forearm or something, you want it, you don't want to be there. Like, he's going to come <laughs> collect you. But he's, he's good. I like Gruder. He's, he's a good man. So he'd be the current teammate that's... Uh, well, he's in the All Blacks now, but with the Highlanders... Um, He's a crab. Hey, if you're if you're on the front row and you're as young as he is, you got to have a hard edge to you. So yeah, it's, there's there's probably yeah. a credit to to why it's got him that far. The, the right. man from Gore. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, last question, my man. You just got to finish off the sentence for me. Saturdays are for the boys. <laughs> that was all I was supposed to say, wasn't it? <laughs> you can you can say whatever you want to say. I'm not, I'm not telling you to do anything. So all, all these answers all i ask for is honesty yeah. and if that's your honest answer beautiful but like i always have a laugh yeah, with, um, yeah i always have a laugh with the boys who say that they're like mate i can't really say anything else because even yeah. if i said something else like in my head i know what the real answer is so yeah yeah. You know, like, um, you've answered those it correctly all, in my opinion those are all the ones that uh they're all the ones that pretended with the boys and then they're calling up with their missus by 10 p.m at night uh, yeah, I don't to have a girlfriend, so I'm for the boys. <laughs> nah. To be fair, bro, I'm not privy to what they get up to out, you know, outside of the outside of the conversations that I have with them, bro. So I just take their word for it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's um, all I can do. But again, thank you very, very much um for this opportunity, Hugh, and, and for your time today. Your transparency um and learning like what you've been through firsthand um was yeah almost pretty emotional bro I, I try to hold all that stuff back being a host but again like it's so cool seeing a fella like yourself who wasn't supposed to get to where he did actually get there um and fingers crossed you know the good luck or well, not the good luck because you make your own luck all the good times keep rolling for you um off the back of this year and all the best for the rest of the npc once it gets back on yeah that's no, cheers um jordan I, yeah great words but i really appreciate it eh? like um but like i said during the thing for me it's also like learning like this conversation has been good you know it's like learning and it's probably leading into another wee thing that's probably why i say to people like talk to someone or uh go to see a professional like a psychologist or something because like you don't know what you're gonna say or anything like that but you often just learn through having conversation all the time and it's been good having a yarn with you because you make feel people feel comfortable and you obviously run a pretty successful um podcast and so it's good having yarns and uh, anyway chewing the fat with fellow fathers Mm. appreciate the kind words my man I'll catch you later Uh, have a good one eh?